Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 this morning, verses 19 through 34. I just realized that my notes are not in my Bible, so I hope they're in my briefcase, or we're going to be kind of going from from memory here, but ah, they they are here, so good. I have had that happen. <laughs> I didn't mention it, but you know. Yeah, I am getting old. That's the reality. Hopefully I'm like a fine wine though, right? <laughs> That's what my wife says at least. So <laughs> let me ask you a question this morning. What do you value most in your life? Spend a second thinking about that. What is the one thing that you value most? I know we're in church, and, you know, you've got to give the church answer. We just sung about that. You know, nothing is better than you, but what do you really value most? And because we all have a tendency to be a little bit self-deceived, what would those that are closest to you say that you value most in your life? Would those two answers be consistent? And then to get a little bit more into your business, what does your bank account or debit card statement say that you value most highly in life? Or what does your digital calendar say that is the most important thing in your life? These are important questions to ask ourselves, and I think they're a question that Jesus, not directly, but kind of indirectly, puts to us in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been going through the book of Matthew, we're in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus' explanation of what the gospel of the kingdom is, what it means to live, even in this world, as a citizen of his kingdom, and what that should look like for those of us who have sought to follow Jesus in our lives. And so he's dealt with all sorts of issues, starting right up on the front, saying, you know, this kingdom is open to everybody, to the poor in spirit, to those that don't have righteousness, but hunger and thirst for that. They long for that. So this kingdom is open to everybody. But then the reality is that God, once we are part of that kingdom, God says, okay, well now I want you to begin to live as citizens of that kingdom. And this is what that looks like. This is how you should deal with your anger and your sexual desire. And, and we've been looking at how we deal with our religious practices this last few weeks. And he talked about how we should give and how we should pray and how we should fast. And, and now he's moving even in a more practical way to how we deal with the stuff and the dailiness of life, specifically the resources of life and what we make it kind of our ambition to follow, what our highest values are. So I want to read just verses 19 through 24 and then we'll talk a little bit about that. So Jesus has just concluded talking about fasting and he says in verse 18 that your fasting may not be seen in others but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And I think kind of keying off that idea of reward, he moves into this next section, and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a reading of God's word. So this is a short section that I wanted to deal with this morning, and I've organized it around kind of three choices that I see Jesus calling us to make in this section. And the first is choose wisely what we treasure, for what we treasure captivates and captures our hearts. It's a command here. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He's been talking about the religious practices of prayer and giving and fasting, and, he, and nowhere in those does he command that to happen. But now he's moved out of saying, you know, when you do this, act in this particular way. Now he gets into this is what I want you to do. It's a little bit more direct. And he literally says, don't treasure to or for yourselves your treasures on earth. And so he's hitting at kind of this core of what motivates us. What is the most important thing for us? And he says, don't treasure up for yourself treasures on this earth. Things that are valuable, things that we put in high regard. So what causes us to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth? One of the things I think is security, right? We want to know that we've got enough for the future. So you remember the financial commercials, you know, from a while back? What's your number? What's the idea behind that? Okay, once you get to that number, you're secure, right? You've got enough in your barns that the future is taken care of. You've got to your number, and that's great. So we look to money and treasure to provide that security that we long for in life because this is an insecure world, right? Who knows, is Putin going to invade Ukraine? What's that going to do to our world and energy and all that kind of... This is an insecure world, so if we have enough treasure in this world, then we can protect ourselves from some of the vicissitudes of, of life and what can come our way. It also gives us, our treasures, a sense of identity and value. If we have nice clothes or a nice car or a nice house... All this material stuff, and we can post it on Instagram, right? And, and we're living the life, and, and all these things are like trophies that, that kind of show how good at life we are, right? I'm good at life because, man, I'm driving this car. When somebody shows up in a Ferrari, it's like, wow, that woman has made it. And when somebody has this big $20 million house on the beach, it's like, wow, that person is significant and valuable, right? So we store up this stuff so that we'll boost and bolster our sense of identity and value. Because I've got a lot of stuff, that must mean I'm worth a lot. We're in a very kind of 
material-oriented worldview right now. And so all we really have, if you're living in that worldview, to show how important we are and to distinguish ourselves from other people is how much stuff we have and, and that our stuff is better than somebody else's stuff. So we look to treasure to provide that sense of identity and, and to give us worth and value. Treasure also gives us power, right? It enables us to, to control other people, to get other people to do what we want them to do. Just read this morning that some woman down in South Florida got the PPP loan money and she used it to hire a hit person to take somebody else out. Money gives you control, even maybe over life and death, to take out your enemies, right? Treasure also provides us with pleasure, right? Treasure enables me to indulge all of my desires, right? Whatever I want, money can buy almost is the message that we are sent. That an awesome vacation, the finest food, the greatest adrenaline rush, all those kind of things, if I've got the cash, then I can provide myself with the life, right? And we read about people that travel all over the world and eat exotic foods in exotic places or do amazing things in amazing places. And they're skiing the Alps on Monday and then they're windsurfing in the Caribbean on Thursday and life is just perfect as they take their private jet all over the place to have this experience and that. And treasure also gives us a sense of independence, right? I've got enough so I don't need anybody. Not even God, right? I've got this nailed down, dialed in. I've got my money, and I've got my amount, and so no one really can touch me. And to me, if you're, you're coming at this from a perspective of just being in the world, you're just a material being, all of that to me makes sense. That's all that this is. It's all we've got is, what, 70, 80 years here. So maximize pleasure, minimize pain. Make sure your life is the most secure, most dialed in that you can make it because that's what life is about. And Jesus says, hey, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Why does he say that? The first reason he says that is because Earthly stuff, it just doesn't last. It doesn't endure. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And that culture, clothes were super expensive. And you displayed your wealth often by the kind of clothes that you wore. So certain articles of clothing would take months of salary to pay for. So this wasn't just, oh, I'm going to go to Target and get a T-shirt. It's like, oh, I'm going to work three months and get this new thing. And then you would hold that for a long time, oftentimes to pass it down to the next generation, so clothes were extremely valuable. Why do you think that the guards were gambling for Jesus' inner garments? Like, really? Let's throw that away. Get, go, go to Target, get some new underwear. Why, why are you, you know, because that stuff was really expensive and, and really valuable. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? You can put a lot of money in your clothes, and what happens? You get a moth infestation. And those months of salary just literally get eaten away by moths. And then he says that, that rust can destroy. Um, the word for rust there is literally eating. So he's this, stuff can eat away at your treasure, right? 
And this could refer to like rats and vermin. You, you know, remember the rich man and his barns that, oh, I got all this stuff stored away. And then you get in there and you realize, man, stuff's eating away at my stuff, right? We've got squirrels around here, you know, and they come up and you hear them and, oh, man, they're back. It just doesn't last. And metal was extremely valuable and precious at that time. So if you have some metal utensils, a sword, or something like that, it, it wasn't stainless back then, so it could get destroyed by, by rust. So, so Jesus is basically saying you can put all this effort into amassing these kind of treasures, and man, it just deteriorates. It just goes away, right? Anybody bought a new car ever, and then 10 years down the road, how much is that car worth, right? And it's just deteriorated. It, the value typically goes down in that. Why? Because life is maintenance, right? And things wear out. And Jesus says, you treasure all this stuff here. And, and that's just kind of foolish. Why? Because it's all eventually going to waste away. And then he says, if it doesn't all waste away, then the stuff that we treasure on earth is, is really insecure. He says that thieves can break in and steal. Literally, it's thieves will dig through and steal. Houses back in that day, if you had enough wealth to have your own house, were made out of mud bricks. So any thief with a sharp tool could, while you're sleeping, dig basically through the outside of your house. And if you had treasure in there, could grab your treasure. If you've got gold coins or whatever it is that's valuable, it's not really that safe. And back then... You know, where do you put the stuff? There's not a bank that's FDIC insured. There's, there's not someplace like there. People would put stuff in temples because thinking, okay, thieves are going to have a little bit of problem. Maybe they'll be a little bit concerned with the God of that temple getting vengeance on them if you put your money in the temple. And it's interesting, in the first part of Romans, it talks about the Jews robbing temples. And I'm wondering about that as if like, okay, the Jews knew, okay, these are gods aren't really gods, so we can get in there, we can get the cash and rob from those, those temples. Whereas, you know, pagan thieves, they wouldn't do that because they'd be afraid that the god would come and get them. But even in that case, it's like, okay, how do I know that the priests aren't taking a little bit on the side, right? So, so there was a lack of security, especially back then, for anything valuable that you had. There were no safety deposit boxes. There were no places you could put this stuff that would be truly secure. So Jesus is saying it's kind of foolish to put all your stock in this stuff because A, it's either going to wear out and get eaten up, or B, someone can come and grab it from you. And you say, wow, we've got that dialed in now, don't we? Our stuff can be totally secure, right? I've got my insurance, I've got my bank, it's insured. I've got a little bit of diversification in my portfolio. I've got a little crypto, I've got a little U.S. stocks, I've got a little foreign stocks, I've got, all, I've got that all dialed in. And that may be well and true. But in Florida, we have these little things called hurricanes, right? So we put all this effort into a house, and then we realize, man, that thing can be blown away. And anybody who's tried to get an insurance settlement after a hurricane recognizes, you know, that can be a little bit tricky too. So that's a way that it can just kind of disappear. And then we've got our government that says, you know, a couple trillion dollars here and there. Let's just print a little bit more. And we've got this stubborn thing called inflation that's coming back right now. So if you hide your money in the ground in 10 years, it's probably going to be worth about a quarter of what it's worth right now. So it goes away in that way. So how do you secure yourself? And you just recognize that, man, there's all of these things that can impact my treasure if it's on this planet. And then all of those ways that we try to 
store up our treasure and value our treasure here, they all go away at death, right? How much is your treasure worth when you go into the doctor and he says, hey, I've got some really bad news. You've got cancer and it's stage four and I don't think you're going to make it through this regardless of how aggressive we get with the treatment right now. This is often said, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. What we bring into this world, which is nothing, is what we take out of this world. To me, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's Solomon in that book. He says, I denied myself nothing my heart desired. I think our world, everyone in our world needs to read Ecclesiastes because, man, we're just running after this stuff. And Solomon has the ability to provide for himself whatever he wanted. Material wealth, he's got it. Construction, want to build stuff, he's got it. Sex, he's got it. All those kind of things. And what does he say at the end? It's all, it's all, the King James says vanity. Literally, I think the point is it's all transitory. It all can go like that. So Jesus says, it's just kind of really foolish to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because there, he says, it's enduring and secure. There's none of these moths that are going to take away your clothes. There's none of these things that will eat away. I think it's, it's secure. It's in the presence of God. And it's interesting, Jesus here doesn't say to his followers, I can't believe you people are thinking about treasure. You shouldn't think about treasure at all. If you were really serious about following God, you would be totally altruistic. You wouldn't be concerned about treasure at all. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus recognizes that we're motivated by things that accrue to us. That's why we're believers, right? It's enlightened self-interest. That this, this, it's better for me to be with Jesus in the long haul than to be apart from Jesus. And sometimes when we read things like this, we realize that we think that, oh man, God's trying to rob us from what's really life. No, he's not. Jesus is trying to point out what is really life. And what's really life is not how much stuff we have. He who dies or she who dies with the most toys doesn't win. They still die, right? And they don't take anything with them. Jeff James was just telling me this morning, his daughter, um, they live in a really nice neighborhood and the next door neighbor, husband is an ER doc. They've got lots of resources, just built a dream house and the wife just committed suicide. And you think, oh man, they've got it all. They've arrived. They've had this material stuff. They've probably got a really big 401k. Life is good. They're making good money. And what more could you have? That's, that's the American dream, right? Well, maybe not, right? Jesus said life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. But oftentimes we're like, well, I know that, but I could make it work, right? I can... Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What in the world does that mean? How do we do that? I think he's just talked about three ways we can do that, right? Three things that he says your heavenly Father will reward you for, right? Where are those? He says, giving when you do it in secret, praying when you do it in secret, and fasting when you do it in secret. Turn over to the book of 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6. And Chris has been going through a lot of this stuff in the Sunday school class, so I'd encourage you to, to be part of that as well. Starting in verse 17, 
It says, as for the rich in this present age, and all of us who live in the West in this country would probably be considered rich by the standards of Paul. So those of you who are rich in this present age, who have more than just your next meal, he says, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That's what he just talked about. All this stuff can vanish in a heartbeat. To put your trust and your hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So he's talking to those that have material resources and he says, okay, how many of you have heard money is the root of all evil? You know what? That's not scriptural. <laughs> First Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So the money is the root of all evil is a misquote in two ways. Money is not evil. Wealth is just neutral, right? It can be very beneficial if we use it wisely. So Paul does not say to the rich person here, hey, you need to get rid of everything you own and give everything away. No, he says, okay, you've got wealth. Maybe these people have a lot of time, so what do you do with your time? Do good works, right? Be concerned with sharing what you have with other people. Be generous and willing to share. So it seems like when we are blessed with resources, one of the ways that we can invest for eternity is to give those resources away. And that will loosen, as Chris has said, our hold on, or resources hold on our heart, because that's the issue I think Jesus is driving at here. That Jesus is not saying all Christians should live a life of abject poverty. There's Proverbs that say, go to the ant. So God's not against saving, he says, who gather up in the summer for winter, right? When Joseph was in Egypt, God gave him this ability to look into the future and interpret this dream. And there's, okay, there's going to be years of famine ahead, so you save up for those lean years. And the New Testament talks about parents saving up for their kids. First Thessalonians 5, 8 says, He who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So this idea of, yeah, I'm just going to, not live off of anything and just trust God for everything, usually that means that other people have to supply what you need. And what does Paul say? You know, get a job, basically. Go to work. Okay, recognize that that is part of God's way of providing for you, but he says don't get caught up in that and make treasure, earthly treasure, your ultimate treasure. He says, set aside those things that you really value as stuff for eternity. And there's many ways that we can do that. I think just following God as he calls us to lay down our lives. And a lot of this is paradoxical, right? Jesus says the way to gain your life is what? To lose it. To give it away. And it's like, no, 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 no. Our mindset is we, we got to get all this stuff. We got to treasure all. That's where I find life. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way that my kingdom works. I want you to have real life and life to the full and that life comes when you're generous and giving stuff away, right? How many people have you heard they get to the end of their life and they're like, man, I would have 
coulda, shoulda spent more time not doing work and trying to amass treasure, but loving other people that were closest to me in this world. So Jesus is not against any type of accumulation, but to me it's an accumulation not for selfish purposes, for all my reasons, but to be generous and sharing and taking care of those that are closest to me. He's against this selfish accumulation of goods without being rich towards God and rich towards those that God's placed in my life, right? And we've talked about this, you know, kind of compassion overload where we all get a million and one of these solicitations for stuff. And, and to me, how do I deal with that? It's, it's just to recognize, okay, what has God placed in my life, in my path, directly in front of me? I can't solve all the problems of the world, but Holy Spirit, guide me towards what problems you're wanting me to work on and to give towards. So Jesus is saying here, you know, it's really important to treasure what's for an eternity to be enjoyed versus what you can get right now because it's so much more secure. Nothing's going to take it away. And the real reason I think he gives is this point at the end because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I often thought about that opposite. You know, what my heart really values, that's when I'm going to invest my life into, but Jesus seems to indicate what we most value and what we put our most energy and resources into, that's where our heart goes. So if we treasure above all else making money or awesome vacations or adrenaline rush experiences or sailing in the Caribbean or becoming CEO or flag officer or starting a business and buying out my competition, None of those things in and of themselves are wrong. But if that's the highest priority in our life, we will find God and Jesus being pushed to the margins of our lives. Why? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart follows. If my main mission is to have all this money, then other things will just fall by the wayside. Because our heart follows our treasure. So back to that question this morning. What do you value above all else? Second question I see Jesus posing to us here is that we're to choose wisely what we focus on because it will determine the direction of our life. He says the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So we recognize that the eye is what brings light into the body. It enables our body to do what it's called to do, right? Where it needs to go. It gives direction and guidance. And he says, so if your eye is healthy, is the ESV, uh, the old new NIV, I think, was good. Uh, King James says, if your eye is single, and it's like, to me, this is a brilliant aspect of Jesus' teaching. Because sometimes he uses a word that can be taken in a couple different ways, and both, to me, are really significant in the context. So here, it's if your eye is healthy. Um, one of the directions for this word that's often translated in the Greek test, Old Testament translation is single, or single-focused, or 
undivided. So Jesus is saying if your eye is undivided, if it's singly focused on what's most important, right, then your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye is not focused on what is most important, then your whole body will be full of darkness. You will be going in a direction that is not good. And to me, that fits really well with the next section that we get to in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. So Jesus is saying what you focus on is going to determine the direction of your life. And if your focus is single-minded, if there's undivided attention towards what really is most important, that's really going to help you live a life that's full and full of light. If not, it's going to be devastating for you. But there's another way that this eye and good eye or healthy eye and bad eye is taken. In Proverbs 28:22 it says this, a stingy man hastens after wealth. And if you read if you've got the ESV there's a little footnote there and it says literally an evil-eyed man hastens after wealth. So this is another way you can translate what the ESV translates as healthy here or good or sound. It's a generous eye versus a stingy eye. So he says, if your eyes are generous, if they look out and they see, oh, these are needs that I can meet, this is a way that I can be open and free with my resources to help other people, Jesus says your life is going to be lit up and it will be full of light. If you're stingy, if it's like, it's all of mine, don't take it away, then your life is going to be full of darkness. And the most devastating thing is when we think that we're in the light, but actually we're in the darkness. So if we're focusing on this stingy mindset, then we're really in the dark and we can't see it. And to me, that interpretation here connects really well to what was before. Don't treasure up for yourselves stuff on this earth. Be generous with what you've got. So I think Jesus is doing this brilliant thing of, yeah, this has both meanings and both are really applicable in the context here. The eye is often kind of a synonym for the heart, right? And oftentimes eye and heart are paired together, right? In Colossians 1, it says, set your mind on what? Things above. In Hebrews, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So that sense of, what I focus on, what is my vision for going forward, that's going to give direction to my life. So what are you choosing to focus on here this morning? Is it loving Christ? Is it being focused on his kingdom, saying, you know, what can I do, Lord, that will show your love to the people around me in this world? That's my focus. Or is my focus, what can I get? What more can I get? How can I get ahead because when that's our focus, people tend to become objects that we use to get to the goal that we want instead of people that we love, and that can even invade the church. Because if there's a pastor that values attendance growth, money in the offering, more than he values following Christ and loving people, that's going to determine a direction that's not healthy. So he says, choose wisely where you fix your gaze, what you focus on. It's going to bring light into your life or it's going to bring darkness into your life. And then the final question I see Jesus calling us to make here is to choose wisely where we invest our energy because ultimately who we serve will become our master. 
It says, no one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says you should not serve God and money. He says you cannot serve God and money. And it's like, well, I can do that, you know? It's like, okay, I'm working for Publix. I can get a side gig with Uber and make a little extra on the side, right? Yeah, we can do that in our culture, but that's not what he's talking about here. Serve that idea is you can't be a slave of two masters, right? That's the concept here. It's not an employer-employee relationship. It's somebody owns you, and when they own you, they own you 24-7. And you may have gone into debt, and you may have had to sell yourself to someone that you were in debt to, and you have a certain period of time where you are owned by that other person 24-7. So you can't say, hey, you know, I know you want this for me, but I've got something else that I want to do. No, that doesn't happen. I can't get on I-10 and I can't go simultaneously toward Tallahassee and New Orleans, right? I can't go both ways. And that's what Jesus says here. You cannot serve two masters. And then he says you're going to either love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. That love-hate contrast is, is often seen in Scripture. If you turn over to Luke 14, 26, it says something that often puzzles people. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So you need to recognize that love-hate for a Hebrew or Semitic person, it's an idiom that's being used in terms of preferring one to another. Because in other passages, Jesus is very concerned about honoring parents. So he's obviously not saying, you've got to hate your parents. You, okay, I want you really to hate your parents. Work on being really hate. And if you've got any brothers, or work on hating them as well. Because Jesus is all about hate, right? That should be patently obvious. But the idea is, okay, there's a preference that you're to give to one or the other. And Jesus says, your preference needs to be me, even if it's in competition with your family. So if it comes to a point in time where your family is saying, no, you can't follow Jesus, and Jesus is saying, follow me, he's saying, you've got to give preference to me. He's not saying you need to hate those people. We're called to love our enemies. Jesus just talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. So you need to recognize that this is being used in a metaphorical way, saying you need to prefer Jesus to this other master, money. And again, the reality is that I think we oftentimes try to serve both, don't we? And maybe we don't even recognize it in our culture because the American dream is always bigger and better and more and more is always the assume. I'm, I'm just going to do that, right? So you're given a vocational choice. What factors decide whether you take that new job? Usually the number one criteria is Stuff about me, money, right? <laughs> you know, they're going to pay me 50 grand more a year. I'm going to be making bank. This is awesome. But it's going to require me to work 30 more hours a week, and I'm already pushing the envelope and don't have enough time for family. So which, who am I going to serve at that point in time? I tell people sometimes money costs too much. And the reality is that oftentimes our decisions are made on a monetary basis instead of even considering, okay, What's the aspect of the kingdom that's being in play here? 
And again, if God is calling you and has given you a gift to make money, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. All other things being equal, take the job that makes more money, duh. But the reality is that times in your life there's going to be a conflict. And I think God regularly, at least in my life, regularly brings me to a point where I've got to choose whom I'm going to serve. Sometimes that comes at tax time, right? That came early in my life where I felt God was calling me into ministry. I'm like, God, I do not want to do ministry. And my main reason was financial. I don't want to go that way because I just, I got to trust you a lot more if I go that way. And if I go the other way, I'll have security in what I can make and what I can do, right? I don't want to be dependent on other people. I want to be independent. That's my nature. And so that was a wrestling match with me. And it was one of those things, God saying, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve your fear about the future and not trust me for it? Are you going to trust me that if I'm calling you to this, I'm going to take care of you along the way? And that was a decision that was made in 1989, a long time ago. And as God has provided everything we need at every step of the way, sometimes not in ways that I thought, but he has provided faithfully through the years. And so God can be trusted, but this stuff makes us really nervous, right? And that's the next section of the Sermon on the Mount where he deals with anxiety. We're not going to get that today, but next week it's like, ah, if I give this to you, what's going to happen? It's scary at times, right? It's anxiety producing. But I think Jesus wants us to recognize, you know what? I've got this for you. I do. And he's not calling us to a life of gloom and no. But he's called us, John 10.10, to life and life to the full. And we get so caught up in our world because it's ever present that your life does consist in the abundance of your possessions and how you can put those possessions up on Instagram or on social media and like you're, you're killing it at life. And you can be killing it at life in that place. And as I heard this morning, sometimes that's not enough to keep us from killing ourselves because we're not finding life at all there. So Jesus is not trying to rob us. He's not trying to make our lives miserable. That passage in Timothy says he's given us all things richly to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy life. God's not a stingy God, he has blessed us beyond what I could have thought in many ways. Some of those ways are material. He's been super good to us in that way. But the reality is that when we value that more than anything, it will take our life in a direction that's not going to be really life-producing and be evidence of the work of God in our hearts. So where are you investing most of your energy right now? He says you can't serve two masters. And I don't think this is a matter of how many hours I'm putting into this thing. Because oftentimes you think, oh, I need to be giving more time to the king. If God has called you into being a doctor or being a teacher or being a mom or being a business person, whatever that is, you're going to take the majority of your time to do that thing. And God understands that. But the question is, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it simply to amass more treasures for yourself in this earth or is it, God, I want to be an instrument of your kingdom where you have called me to work and to serve? 
There's oftentimes a false dichotomy, and sometimes it's presented by pastors in terms of, well, the highest callings are, you know, the really high calling is a missionary, and slightly below that is the pastor, you know, and then there's everything. Are you in full-time Christian service? All of us should say, yeah, I am. I'm in full-time Christian service as a filmmaker, as a mom, as a lawyer, as a teacher, whatever it is, but God has called you to that, and that's not a wrong thing. And if he's called you to that, don't say, oh, i got to be something else, but be God's kingdom ambassador where you are, right there for his kingdom, for his purpose, valuing what he values more than just getting ahead in that thing. Grabbing the next rung on the ladder, but God, I want to make a difference for your kingdom. I want to value you and my relationship with you and the relationships that I have with other people in this environment more highly than amassing a whole bunch of stuff for me. So three questions this morning. Who or what do you value supremely? Who or what is guiding your vision or your focus? And who or what are you expending your energy to serve? I can't answer those questions for you. A lot of us wrestle with that, but I just want you to know that God in his grace is calling you to something really good if he's challenging you in any of those areas. He's calling you to life. He's not trying to rob you or rip you off. He's trying to give you life that is really life so that you don't end up in that place where you've got just tons of stuff. You just got it. And God says to you, fool, this very night, you're going to meet with me. Let's be rich towards God and generous towards the people that he's placed in our lives. Father, we come to you this morning, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Lord, everything we have, we've received from you. You're a God of generosity and a God of abundance, a God that delights to give good gifts to his children that wants our life to be full and flourishing with joy Yeah, Lord, we just confess that so often we get distracted and we think life is found in the stuff that's around us or having the next thing, whatever that thing in our life is. Lord, forgive us and redirect us. Give us a new vision and focus for what's truly significant and important. Lord, help us to invest energy in those things that really will matter for eternity. And Lord Jesus, help us to value you more than everything else in this world. Lord, we've sung about that this morning. May it be true of our hearts and where it's not. Be patient and gentle and gracious with us and help us to grow there. That's in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen.